everybody, or afternoon, wherever you live. Welcome back to Starve the Ego, Feed the Soul. I'm your host, Nico Barraza. And I've been releasing the episodes on Monday uh, since we started this podcast, but I think we might be switching to Wednesdays just because it gives me a little bit more time to edit with all the shooting and editing I have going on on the back end outside of the podcast. So just stay tuned for that. We might be doing Wednesday morning launches instead of Monday morning. I just wanted to start with that note. Um, This week's guest is an amazing one. I'm a huge proponent of uh, sleep health, like sleep hygiene for performance, for your mental health, for, you know, your work productivity, for everything. I mean, sleep is the number one thing we should be focusing on uh, to better our relationships and ourselves, in my opinion, um, outside of, you know, shadow work, therapy, diet, exercise, sleep is huge. And especially in the modern world, a lot of us really fuck that up uh, with social media, with mindless scrolling, with a ton of stimulants, caffeine. Um, You know, there's so many different ways we sort of wreck our sleep patterns as human beings. And the individual I have on this week is Miss Kristen Holmes. She is the Vice President of Performance Science with Whoop. Now, if you don't know what Whoop is, uh, they make these little wristbands um, that basically track your sleep pattern and a bunch of other data like HRV and so on and so forth um, to kind of track your recovery and your sleep hygiene and give you a broad outlook over time on how you're doing. Uh, I've used some similar things uh, like Whoop, like wearing my you know sports watch to bed and tracking my sleep. And I tracked my HRV for a couple of years when I was running full time. Um, and the data is awesome. But ultimately, this episode is really about sleep quality, how it affects you know yourself, your performance, your love life, like your emotions, everything uh, on that spectrum, and how to actually improve better sleep. So Kristen offers some practical tips on you know how you can get better sleep and therefore feel better in your day-to-day life when you wake up too. And hopefully spend more of your hours awake feeling good. So that's what this episode's about. It's a, it's a super interesting one. Um, I definitely asked Kristen a lot of questions and she has a wealth of knowledge. And I'm really thankful that she uh, took the time and, and came on the show. So I'm really excited to have her on. And again, if you guys haven't left us a five-star written review on Apple, please do so pause this right now and go over and write one for us. That helps the show grow a lot. Uh, Make sure to subscribe and follow on Spotify and Apple and then share this episode with your friends on social media. We'd really appreciate that. Love to get this information out there to more people. And Kristen has been on a a handful of podcasts, but I think the questions I ask her in this one are a little bit different uh, in approach. And hopefully that comes across and benefits you guys, the listeners, um, with with some more knowledge that she has and some wisdom too. So without further ado, Kristen Holmes. Well, let's start, Kristen. Well, thank you so much for coming on, by the way. I really appreciate your time. And like I said earlier, uh, the things that I have listened to you speak uh, via podcast on the internet, super big fan. Like, I just love the the knowledge that you bring to the table. Can you start off by telling the viewers, like, who you are, your background, and what your current role is with Whoop and what you do? Yeah, my name is uh, Kristen Holmes. I'm the vice president of performance science at Whoop. And I do a variety of things at, at Whoop, but a, a lot of what I spend my time on is really bringing in external research partners that help us um, better understand um, human performance and, you know, give us a, a platform to gain some scientific understanding that we we wouldn't otherwise have around um, specifically behaviors that influence our physiology. So I kind of focus a ton on that. My kind of real, I guess, area of, of interest is, is around circadian biology and, and really understanding, you know, how our circadian rhythms 
influence, um, you know, kind of our, our general wellness and, and, and really what levers we can pull to, um, to really enhance our, our kind of, uh, you know, our, our general health, you know, kind of in the moment, but, but most importantly, I think our overall longevity. Um, so really just at a, at the core level been, have, I've had a very, very background and career as an athlete and as a coach and as a scientist, but I think at, at the heart of all of it, I've always been interested in human potential and, and understanding the factors, both physiological and psychological that kind of go into facilitating, um, potential in humans. Do you think if you, you wouldn't have been, been an elite, an elite athlete, athlete in college, in college and, and, and played on the U.S. national team in field hockey, would you not have been propelled to sort of uh, be so interested in human performance, performance as it correlates to sleep and, you know, circadian health? I mean, I think it's certainly an, an incredible forcing function, right? When you're trying to to compete at the highest level and, and you're faced with, you know, the, the fiercest competition imaginable, you know, I mean, everyone's very, very good at, at the at the top and, um, you know, you kind of have to, you know, you you, everyone has the genetic potential and they're, you know, they've got skills and expertise. They're, you know, we're all surrounded by good information from coaches. The difference maker, I think really does come down to, you know, your performance lifestyle. And, and I think that's, that's what I became really obsessed with is, is I've got gosh, we're all really good. We're all fast. We're all strong. We're, you know, we've got good technical skills, you know, decent tactical knowledge, you know, what, what is the actual difference maker here? And, and that's what really got me going down the rabbit hole as an athlete is, is trying to figure out, okay, how do I, how can I, pull some of these physiological levers, um, you know, such as sleep and nutrition, hydration. Um, and, and then how can I really wrap my brain around, you know, what are the fundamental things I need to focus on from a psychological perspective in order to, to really bring my best every day. So I kind of started building a framework as an athlete, um, just so I could, you know, make world cup teams and Olympic teams and Pan American games and, and things like that. Um, and then as a coach, no question, you know, when you're trying to, um, when you're, you know, have the massive responsibility of, of 24 young women every year. And, and, and they're looking to you to, to provide some guidance to help them thrive in a very demanding environment, such as Princeton university, you know, we've got mm. incredible, extraordinary demands on their time as a student and as athletes. And, you know, I, I really felt a responsibility to build a framework, um, you know, mental models that they could grasp onto, to really optimize their potential. So, um, you know, I, I have always believed that, you know, using science to build those frameworks is, is, is the only way to go about it. And, and I, that's kind of what got me down the, the academic rabbit hole is, you know, to really ensure that the, the methodologies and, and, um, the practices I was putting into place, um, inside my environment, you know, both coaching and teaching and, and for my own self, um, were, you know, based on sound principles, um, mm -hmm. you know, that underpinned by, by obviously sound science. Right. Let's talk about, the sort of evolution of sleep in Western culture. So now we have social media, we have technology up the wazoo, right? We are constantly connected. And, you know, from what I've listened to you in previous podcasts, there's been sort of this declination of sleep health and it's almost, you can almost correlate it to sort of our emotional well-being, and, you know, just all these other symptoms we're experiencing as a society in a culture where, you know, we're, we're so focused, it seems to be, it's an increasing focus on mental health and well-being you know, meditation, yoga, really taking care of yourself, right? Self-love, self-care. But perhaps one of the biggest things I hear people overlook or I don't hear anything about is sleep. Is is something we can we can so easily affect given our day-to-day -day lives and our stress level and how that directly correlates to our emotional health or hormones or physical ability or cognitive ability. Can you talk about sort of, is this something where, you know, and we're talking about Western culture, it could be, you know, the world at large too, but have we seen a declination of of sleep as far as like the you know, I guess quality of sleep over X amount of years, or have we 
you know, always sucked at sleeping since, you know, <laughs> industrial revolution? Like when, when did we start to really experience problems? Was it when like the TV came online or when the internet came uh, online? I mean, I think artificial light is, is uh, without a doubt, you know, the, the biggest culprit, <laughs> um, I think. And, um, and, and I think that's where, when we probably saw the, the biggest change in, in kind of time spent in bed, um, was, uh, was the introduction of, of artificial light. And, um, and then I think there are some, you know, there were some really prominent leaders, you know, who really debunked the idea that sleep was in fact important or necessary. So I think that also, I think contributed to the culture that I think we're starting to unwind ourselves from that, you know, sleep is for the weak, you know, sleep is, you know, you can sleep when you're dead, you know, all these sort of idiotic things that are, that were purported, I think in the, in the eighties and, and, and even into the nineties, um, I think are starting to, to be looked on as just completely nonsensical. Right. Um, and, and I think, you know, now we're starting to see leaders say, Hey, sleep is actually really important. And, and I think, at this stage, there's just a mountain of evidence and scientific evidence to, um, to all of your points, Nico, that, you know, sleep is absolutely fundamental. It's the most important behavioral experience we have. And it's, there's a linear relationship between our sleep and, uh, you know, it, there's a linear relationship between inefficient sleep and root cause all mortality, right? Like if you, if you don't sleep, um, and, and don't get the quality and quantity of sleep that you need on a consistent basis, you, you become extremely vulnerable, right. As a, as a, as a human being, um, mm -hmm. you know, you're more vulnerable to step in front of a bus, you know, you're more vulnerable to, to, you know, you know, getting things like cancer and, um, and meta metabolic dysfunction and, um, all sorts of, you know, wide, wide variety of, of, uh, diseases and including, you know, the, the swath of the, I think we can argue that sleep is probably the precursor to a lot of mental health issues as well, insufficient sleep. Mm -hmm. So again, knowing which one comes first, I think is, is, a, is a bit up for debate, but, um, but yeah. yeah, I mean, I think light is, is one of the biggest sources that we can actually leverage to improve our sleep. Frankly, I think it's, it's an important intervention, um, and, and a subject that I'm studying a ton. Um, I'm in the process of getting my, um, my PhD and um, I'm looking at circadian alignment on, on resilience and high stress environments. But, you know, this concept that, you know, light is the most important cue uh, in, in our environment that um, that influences all sorts of biological processes and um, how we interact with light is, is uh, I think a, a subject of, um, of, of deep interest of mine personally, but just be, yeah, and yeah. the only reason is because it, how influential it is on, on our, on our health. I'm going to ask you more questions about light in a second because I have I have some in my mind. But when we talk about sleep length, right, where one of the things you said on in the podcast I was listening to you on is one of the most important things is to go to bed and wake up at relatively the same interval, right, the same time. And it's really intriguing to hear you speak on that because uh, using myself as sort of a, a guinea pig, I, I, I'm so hyper aware of my body and my well-being now. If I, if I go to sleep like an hour later than usual, or, or don't get enough sleep. And it's not, it's not only the length it also is the quality. Like I can feel, you know, the quality of it. I mean, I feel so different in the morning, like my cognitive ability, my sharpness, uh, my strength, if I'm going to the gym, you know, I know my hormones are affected, like, and just my ability to be like peaceful and tolerable to things that happen in my life, right? Like to be a, a more sort of empathetic human being directly correlated to how I slept that day or multiple days before that. Right. Cause it, it banks up. I know a lot of people will be like, well, 
I'll get one shitty day of sleep and then, you know, I'll just, I'll just catch up. And it doesn't really work like that. Right. It's, it's, it's kind of, um, so I guess the question I had for you was like length of sleep versus quality of sleep. Cause I know people that sleep 10 hours a day, but it seems like they're not sleeping. And again, I wouldn't be able to tell unless you're, you're studying them, right. With, with different metrics, but you know, it seems to be like you need both. And what are some ways to ensure that you're getting both? Yeah, um, that's a good question. Uh, yeah, I think figuring out your how much time you actually need to spend a bed and spend in bed is um, really important. And I think also understanding your chronotype is also really important. So, you know, what is my natural biological preference? I think that's kind of the first question you need to try to answer. And then you want to try to stay, you know, as closely to whatever that preference is. Um, as much as often as possible. And I think that, you know, COVID has been this really interesting kind of moment in time where, and we see this in our own member data, you know, we're talking hundreds of thousands of folks, right? Where one of the one behavior that became more stable once this pandemic hit was you saw people settling into their optimal sleep wake time. And as a result, and this is crazy. And as a result, we saw massive improvements in heart rate variability and resting heart rate. And there's other kind of factors, but when we do all of this fancy statistics and data analysis and we, you know, a control for all the confounding variables, what, what is left when we have, if we're thinking about one marker that predicts um, resilience, looking at pre-pandemic and post-pandemic data, the one signature behavior is sleep-wake timing. So stabilizing sleep-wake timing is the most important behavior you can, you can really adopt. And I think it comes, I think in, in, I think to your point, like it, it's not like you have to go to bed and wake up every single day, you know, every single day of the month, but you're a kind of a sum of the, these habits and behaviors, right? So just on average, you want to try to go to bed and wake up, you know, within an 45 minutes to an hour on either end. Right. And I guess to get it, to know when your natural preference is, you know, stop caffeine by, by one, don't take a nap, you know, don't come into the experiment with a lot of sleep debt, and then just really pay attention to when you naturally feel sleepy. And, and that probably is your natural preference for sleep. Um, and then just wake up naturally, see when you naturally wake up. And that's, you know, that's probably how much time you need to be spending in bed. And then in terms of evaluating, you know, whether or not you're getting into these deeper stages of sleep, if you don't have technology, you know, do I feel sleepy during the day as an adult, unless I'm training, you know, for the, you know, the Olympics or I'm doing double sessions, like as an adult, you shouldn't feel sleepy during the day. And and that's probably the easiest kind of little, um, I guess, you know, check question you can ask yourself, um, that will tell you whether or not you're getting enough time in bed. Um, and, and whether that, that time in bed, most importantly is quality. And the other thing that we've seen with stabilizing sleep, wake timing is that you actually spend less, you don't have to spend as much time in bed, um, because your sleep is more efficient, right? So there's one behavior of stabilizing sleep, wake time, um, because you're, you're kind of in harmony with what your body naturally wants to do. You are therefore more efficient, um, and, Therefore, that leads to um, a more continuous, like more more kind of continuity with your sleep, less fragmented sleep, um, which means that you'll be spending more time in these deeper, more sort of stages of sleep. Okay. So what are some things, I guess, so one of the things you go to bed at the same time, roughly wake up at the same time naturally, what are some of the things that we can do to practice sleep hygiene or better sleep hygiene and become like more efficient sleepers? 
Yeah. And I, and I think most people focus on what's happening like the hour before bed, <laughs> but actually good sleep starts the moment you wake up, um, you know, which I don't know how people feel about that, but that's just the reality of how our, our system works. And one of these first interactions we need to have in order to help our sleep efficiency at night, you know, which is your, which is your question is exposing yourself to light within 20 minutes of waking up. So you want to get your eyeballs into the natural light in as safely a manner as possible. So that solar angle tells your body that it's time to be alert. So a lot of light in the eyes when you want to be alert, as little light in the eyes when you want to be drowsy or sleeping. Okay. And that's kind of the most, the most important principle. And if we're getting really technical here for like the science nerds out there, you want to get about a hundred thousand lux prior to 10 a.m. And, you know, that doesn't have to mean all at once, but, you know, you want to spend roughly 20 minutes outside in order to kind of get that 100,000 um, worth of lux um, that is kind of optimal to, you know, get the cortisol going, you know, all the the kind of hormones and basically tell every all the biological processes in your body that it's, it's time to be up and running. Um, and then this starts, that pulse, when your body realizes it's supposed to be awake, then sets off, um, you know, kind of your, uh, kind of the, the melatonin kind of, um, uh, production that, that will peak at, you know, roughly 12 hours after you wake up, uh, when it's time to sleep. This this probably fluctuates with the seasons too, right? But for people like I live in a small mountain town up here in Flagstaff and in the winter, you know, the sun won't rise till 7.30, 8am. It's super cold outside. Is this something where it's just optically like your eyes need to have these the the interaction or you does your body need to actually physically see because some people are actually covered up like a snow person when they go out for a run in the morning in the winter right but the important thing is just to be in the sunlight it's not necessarily like how much of your skin is exposed to it it's it has nothing to do with the skin in fact that there's no it's it's really it's it's all about the retinas um it's the eyeballs that have to is is the only way for um your body to understand what's happening so you can shine a light anywhere on your body, but it's, it's, this isn't about vitamin D. This is about, um, actually like triggering these biological kind of mechanisms. Okay. So one of the things that I, I do this myself and a lot of people do this is when you wake up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom, you check your phone, right? I'm guessing, I'm guessing that's not a good idea, right? Because you're exposing yourself to light. If you're trying to phase advance or phase delay your clock, <laughs> and we can talk a little bit about that if you want, but no, you, you definitely do not want to be looking at any light between 11 PM and 4 AM, like literally as little light as humanly possible. Okay. And that, so that's not just, not, that's not just blue light from your phone. That's turning a lamp on to go to the bathroom. Like, should I walk to the bathroom in the complete dark and hit a couple things on the way? No, there no, you can, you can, no, no, no. You, you can certainly, you know, takes about 90 seconds, right. To kind of get up and go to the bathroom and come back. And in that time frame, if it's, you know, a thousand lux, like to 5,000, like that, that's not going to be enough. Um, but again, if you can avoid your eyes from looking into the light, that will absolutely help. Cause again, it's, okay. it's not just light on the skin. It's, it's actually your brain needs to be act, you know, your brain needs to know that that light is shining in and you can only do that. The only pathway to the brain is through the eyes, right? It's not through the skin. So do you sleep with your phone in your bedroom or do you leave it somewhere else and turn it on? I have it in my bedroom, but it's on airplane mode. So it's not actually okay. emitting any, anything. Um, and yeah, yeah. I, I mean, between 11 and 4am. Yeah. I'm, Unless, you know, something crazy is going on, but yeah, I have that sucker turned off. (laughs) Yeah. I ask that because sometimes, you know, I'll, I usually, I try to turn it off, uh, but sometimes I'll leave it on. And if I get up, you know, I'll, I'll look at 
you know, if it, if it has a notification or something, it'll, you know, pop up. Phones are very smart. They know when you're moving. So like the screen will illuminate, you know, oh, no. um, but that's, no, it's not a th- common thing, but I know it's not a good habit. And I just want to bring it up here on the show because I think a lot of people do that because, you know, they have a lot of stuff going on and maybe they missed an email at nine o'clock. Well, right. I know. And, we and, and, uh, our and boyfriends it's not, it's not good. texting us. Yeah. Yeah, I know they're, they're it, it really on Tinder. They got a couple matches. They they got to put that thing away. Dude. I, you know, it's, it's, I know. I know. It's put that thing away. No, it's it's um. I mean, it's it's not easy, you know. But I I think when we understand like the, I think if we can just appreciate like the implications, I guess, um, short term and long term. Like I think that hopefully is is at least will in part like drives the drive the behaviors. But, and again, it's not like, it's not every day. Like you have to be insanely like tied to this right. perfect schedule, but you know, it's just like, you want to try to like adhere as, as much as possible. Right. Cause I, I think, I think it generally, like if we're thinking, all right, what am I really trying to do here? And I, and I, you know, we get, I think when you think about technology as a, as a way to kind of foster performance, like I think people often think that it's, um, you know, well, people don't necessarily like want to understand like the truth, but I think as you age and you're trying to be more, you know, you're trying to be present, you're trying to be engaged, you know, understanding like how these behaviors are going to contribute to that, I think is really important. Right. And, and building some sort of framework and creating and and applying some sort of effort and and discipline around these behaviors that we know are actually really going to influence my ability to be present and engaged when I'm awake. I feel like that's a small, you know, not there. The trade-off there to me seems pretty obvious, but I agree. And if we just talk about how many people are, you know, on a diet or taking 17 supplements or, you know, going to the gym every day, like these are things you have to have commitment, you know, you have to create habits to, to make them sort of rituals. And the, the, what you're talking about, it really isn't that difficult. It's, but it is super important. I think a lot of people overlook that because, you know, they might not see immediate benefits. But if you have good sleep health over a year, you know, you're going to be a healthier human being pretty much in every aspect of your life, right? I mean, there's there's no question about that. And you know, I I think, you know, when we look at the relationship between sleep and cognitive functioning, sleep and physical performance, you know, sleep and you know, uh, emotional regulation, like I mean. Gosh, it's just, it's, it is just the thing to kind of get right. And to, to, you know, if you're going to just focus on one thing, like do that thing. And, you know, if you're trying to lose weight, like, you know, huge implications, if you're not getting sufficient and quality sleep, right? Like it's very, very, very difficult to lose weight if you're not getting the sleep that you need. So I think people don't understand like how intimately our sleep is connected, the quality and sufficiency of our sleep is, and consistency is connected to, you know, all of the goals that we're trying to achieve in our life throughout the day, you know? So I, I think, yeah, understanding that I think is really core. Do you think that, I guess, with, uh, with the prevalence of social media, that that has played a, a, a huge role in our ability to sleep deeply? Because I think one thing I noticed is, let's say I'm on Instagram scrolling, even if it's two or three hours before, you know, I'm going to bed or something, right? That sort of um, the the quickness and the and the like rapidity of that's a word, the rapidness of uh, you know scrolling. Sort of, I guess, in my mind, it, it kind of like speeds up my my brain in a way that I'm like it's very like anxious. You know, um, I think that is for a lot of people. And so I notice like if I go to bed after you know spending time on social media, my brain doesn't necessarily 
it's not ready for optimal sleep. So it doesn't slow down. So it takes me longer, even if I fall asleep to actually feel like I'm in a deep sleep. Does that, that might just me, you know, me being aware of it, but is that something that makes sense to you? Like, are people spending way too much time on their phones before bed? Is it, if you put it away an hour before, is that sufficient? Yeah. I mean, I think if you think about it, like in terms of, all right, what am I trying to do right now? And am I trying to be calm or I'm trying to be alert? (laughs) And if you can just break it into those two pathways, if I'm trying to be calm, if I'm trying to sleep and get drowsy, being on my phone is probably not the best path to that. Um, unless, you know, I'm reading, you know, Anna Krenner or something like that's going to like put me to sleep. I don't know. Um, but I, I think, you know, generally speaking, like if you're, you know, within an hour of bedtime, you really don't want to be doing anything that is other than winding down. And, and again, I kind of go back to the light as one of those really important cues, like dim the lights in the house, like, you know, try to get it, you know, think about it as like, make your house as romantic as humanly possible. Right. Um, with, and, and if you do that, like that, again, it sends a signal to your body that, all right, it's time to wind down and then kind of pair that with other behaviors that, are going to similarly make you kind of drowsy or sleepy. Um, so for you, Nico, you know, scrolling through Instagram is clearly not like the best path, like prior to bed, not to mention there's the blue light, you know, even if you have blue light blocking glasses, which do, which do help, um, and a, a filter on your phone, you know, there's still that kind of light that is emitted that, you know, is, is gonna not only maybe, impact your ability to fall asleep. But I think to your point, Nico, it actually leads to a less restful, like front end of sleep, right. And and potentially more fragmented sleep. So light before bed is, is definitely going, is not going to help your sleep efficiency. Okay. I almost noticed when I, when I do something like that, I wake up more anxious. Like I wake up in the state of mind that I almost went to bed in, right? So if I'm calm and I've meditated before bed and I've done something or just relax, you know, not watch TV, just read a book. I'll wake up feeling very relaxed and like, oh, you know, I'm ready to crush this day. If I, if I like, you know, scroll a bunch or if I read some email that, you know, uh, is, you know, reminds me that I have a bunch of work to do or something to edit, like that is never sets me up for a successful sleep. And I wake up usually in that same state of mind. Yeah. You bring up just a really good point is, is, you know, just aware, being aware, right. Of, of what, is helpful and what isn't helpful and, and just creating habits around that, uh, I think is important. And, and, um, yeah, I, I think it's, it's easy to, um, to not pay attention, you know? And, and I think to me, if I were to have a comment on social media is I, I think it, it does kind of distract us potentially from what really matters at our core. You know, it kind of, it, right. it creates quite a, quite a strong disconnect. Right. And I think you kind of have to, I think the more you engage in social media, you have to really have that spend equal time, you know, sitting with your thoughts and, and, and really going back to kind of, you know, what is it that I really care about in my life? You know, what are my values? Are my behaviors a reflection of the things that I say I care about? Um, and these are all like, when we think about mental health and, you know, how we get to a place where, you know, we, we, you know, feel good and, and are, you know, can be engaged and be present, which I think is, and feel peaceful, which I I think are the, I think what most of us are kind of striving for in our life, you know, is to have some sort of peace. Um, I think it really does come down to how we're, how we're actually spending our time. And, um, you know, I I have a limit on Instagram. It's literally a five minute limit, (laughs) but, and, and then it gives you, when I go back into it, it says one more minute, 15 more minutes or, 
you know, do I open it up for the day? It gives me kind of three options. Is that like a third party app you use? Um, no, I just, I just put, um, a time limit on all my apps. Oh, you can do that within the apps. I actually didn't know that. So yeah, you just go into your settings in Apple. Yeah. And you literally just, um, set a time limit, but that's, but that's again, like I want to be aware of how I spend my time, you know, like I want, and I want to, I, I, you know, I'm getting my PhD. I have a full-time job. I have got two kids. Like I've got a lot, a lot of shit going on. Right. And I, I can't afford to be you know, scrolling through Instagram for, for two and a half hours. Right. Like I, I just can't, I can't do yes. that. Um, so yeah, I think for me and, and frankly, when I do that, I, I don't necessarily feel at peace. Right. And, and that can bring peace to some people. Again, I'm not judging any behaviors. I'm just saying for me personally, I've noticed a really strong correlation between just, you know, my productivity, my feeling of peace and, and just well being. um, the, the less I engage in, in those mediums. Um, so yeah. Let's talk about sleep aids, because in a world where we're consistently looking for a pill to sort of cure our own behavioral shit, uh, it's it's really intriguing to me that, you know, we have sort of these three different things. You can take melatonin, which is natural supplement, you know, in some in some form. You can take, you know, uh, Benadryl or diphenylhydramine, right? People take that and those are sleep aids. Or, you know, people will take like use cannabis. They'll take an edible or a CBD gummy or something like that. Um, I'm sure to want to talk about all three of these things because how do these things affect sleep? Because they might put you to sleep, right? But do they affect our ability to to sleep deeply? Do they affect some of our REM patterns, you know, these different sort of uh, modes we sleep in? Yeah. So melatonin, cannabis, and, um, and, and like diphenylhydramine, right? Like a lot of people, you know, specifically people be like, well, I just, I'll take, you know, 10 milligrams of melatonin a night or, you know, I'll, I'll eat an edible or something. And I, I don't know if I've, I've never sort of felt like I've slept. It's never been like, this might just be anecdotal for me, but it's never felt like I've slept more healthy using some sort of, even if it's a natural substitute, as opposed to just practicing healthy sleep hygiene and being on a roll. Yeah, I, I, I definitely am so far on the camp of just behavior, 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 um, as a, as a way to, you know, it, not that I'm, I'm against medicine or by any means, but I, I definitely feel like, again, I, I think we talked about this maybe we weren't recording yet, Nico, but, you know, I just, it's always been my philosophy that, you know, you get the foundation, right? Like you, you know, get your, and I know some people will have trouble falling asleep, but what's actually the root of that? You know, it's probably, you know, stress accumulation throughout the day. So the, the path to improving your sleep onset latency. So how quickly you fall asleep is not that the path isn't melatonin. The path isn't some sort of like sleep aid, the path is actually mitigating stress throughout the day in, in a, in a helpful, like in a, in a healthy functional way. So that means incorporating breathing techniques, right? Like again, you know, getting light exposure in the morning, you know, 20 minutes after waking up before 10 AM and then getting, you know, light exposure when, um, the sun goes down at night, it means, you know, stopping, uh, you know, bright lights 90 minutes before you intend to sleep. I mean, these are the the behaviors that set you up to fall asleep, you know, quickly within healthy limits and then, um, and then to stay asleep. And so to me, I, I always feel like, yeah, sure. Melatonin, I guess as a short-term kind of fix, not a bad idea, but, um, but I, you know, but I do think melatonin gets like, you know, pegged as this like really benign, it's basically a food, but, and then low doses, it's not a big deal. But at the same time, like, again, like, I feel like it's understanding like the root cause and addressing that 
is a hundred percent worth our time. Like I, I just don't, I don't know. I've just never been into shortcuts. So maybe that's just like my, me and the way I'm wired and my DNA, but I just feel like whatever is like a short term, if your short term solution can actually be a long term strategy, there's something wrong there. <laughs> like, and it's, it's worth like more explore, exploration, but, um, you know, and, and I think there's way to ways to manipulate light. If like, you're, you know, going to travel again, like you can use melatonin potentially and, you know, in low doses to, you know, kind of prompt that, that production of, you know, pr- prompt the production of, of melatonin. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you're traveling and crossing time zones, but, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm definitely way more into like Almost, the natural. Yeah. I, I completely agree with you. I think that, it, I mean, melatonin seems to be a great thing to like get back on a schedule if you've kind of fallen off the wagon, Yeah, yeah. but you know, certainly you want to sort of stay that course naturally. One of the things that comes to mind is, you know, with, with cannabis being legal in so many States now, like a lot of people will use like weed to fall asleep, right. Or, or yeah. CBD of some sort. Yeah. Have you guys, or you specifically read any studies on the, how it affects our, the depth of sleep and the quality of sleep? Because I know a lot of folks, you know, of various ages use that to fall asleep almost every night, you know, and I'm curious on if it's really giving us the quality of sleep. Uh, we need to be rejuvenated in the morning. There isn't a lot of research. Um, and we actually are at WHOOP, we're ramping up three different studies um, to to try to actually understand the impact of some of these different products um, that people take often, um, you know, to to really help with sleep and to treat anxiety. Um, so we're, we, we've got some really good controlled um you know, our RCT kind of uh, studies in place that hopefully will, you know, help us um, be able to answer that question um, more fully. Cause, cause right now, yeah, there isn't actually a lot of research. I mean, I can tell you, you know, smoking dope just from looking at um, data um, from folks who I know are, are smoking dope and they gave me permission and was able to look at a, about 30 people, um, you know, and, and we had, kind of a, a washout period and, um, you know, and then a ramp back up. So we were able to kind of see the the differences between when they were smoking with dope and when they weren't. Um, and definitely, um, they spent more time in bed, um, when smoking dope, but the depth of their sleep was not as good when they were smoking, um, weed. That's what I would assume, honestly, like just based yeah, on, uh, you know, talking to people about it. Yeah. Yeah. I know that's probably so not what, what people want to hear, but um, I, I know, but we got to, we got to face our demons, man. You know, I, I think know. that the, not, not to hate on that. I think there's medicinal properties for, for that, but I oh, think that no a question. lot of people become dependent on it yep. and we're, we might be tanking our immune system and our levels and not knowing it, thinking that this thing's actually healthy to do before bed or to, you know, it makes us chill out, fall asleep, whatnot, as opposed yep. to focusing on the natural things that we can do to control our cortisol levels naturally. So we can be tired naturally at the time to go to bed. It's healthy. Right. Yeah. Well um, the other two drugs, alcohol and caffeine, right? So with alcohol, um, you know, it's such a casual thing, especially in the U S right. It's like, you know, I have a glass of wine before bed, have a beer before bed, go out to dinner and drink. I, I actually stopped drinking a couple of years ago just because I just, after running so much, I just felt like shit after drinking anything. And I, and I traveled, you know, I was being flown to Italy and France and, and drinking at vineyards and mountain races. It was phenomenal. And I'm not against alcohol at all. Uh, but I did notice, especially with recovery, like even having a small eight ounce glass of wine, like a pretty small glass of wine, especially for me, I'm a bigger person. Like I, I would just notice my sleep would be affected. 
like, can you talk about alcohol and its relationship with sleep and specifically in the society that sort of just, you know, it's a, it's a drug to wind down. It's a drug to relax. I know. Gosh, we have so much data around this and, you know, unfortunately, like the news with alcohol is not good (laughs) in terms of how it impacts our sleep. Again, if we buy into the research and the science that says sleep is really important, um, it, it definitely does not help sleep. Um, especially when you're having alcohol really close to bedtime, then it really doesn't help sleep. And I think what, what happens often with alcohol is that there's other behaviors that come with eating alcohol that really influence, um, you know, the, 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 you know, exacerbate, I guess, the negative kind of data um, that we see, you know, generally speaking, if you're drinking a lot of alcohol, you're also going to bed at a different time um, than you probably typically would. You're maybe eating foods that you typically would not, um, you know, so there's other things happening. I think that um, make it, make it the data look harsher than maybe it would if it was just alcohol alone. Um, so yeah, definitely alcohol close to bedtime is, is going to have a, a pretty negative effect on not only the time that you're spending in these deeper stages of sleep, but, um, uh, uh, but obviously your ability to kind of execute that behavior that we talked about being so central to, you know, getting into deeper stages, the sleep wake timing. Um, you will fall asleep faster, um, because, you know, alcohol is a sedative, right? It makes you right. feel sleepy, uh, and drowsy, which is why people use it as a sleep aid. But again, it, you will end up having more fragmented sleep. Um, and, and, and you might spend more time in bed, but again, you know, you're not getting into these deeper stages of sleep. There's, there's no, it's just junk sleep and there's actually no restorative benefit, um, happening during those times. So that's why you wake up feeling like hungover, like you're not actually fully restored. Right. Mm, <laughs> um, yep. cause, cause basically when you're drinking alcohol, like your body has to divert all its resources to processing that alcohol, um, and can't spend the spend resources on, you know, recovering and regenerating, you know, uh, muscle tissue and, you know, releasing toxins from the brain, like all the things that it really wants to be doing. It can't be doing any of those things. Um, so as a result, you kind of wake up as half the person. Um, I will say, you know, if you drink during the day and, you know, accompany that with a lot of water, you know, stop, you know, at least five or six hours before you go to go to bed, that mm. is going to have a, a much less impact on your sleep. So day drinking is definitely the, the route to go if you're going to if you're going to drink. <laughs> it, that's kind of funny, right? Because so many people will sort of socially judge that. But I, I think it's interesting that people are so against sort of giving up drinking entirely, you know, and it's fine. Like, I think everyone should do what what they want to do. It's, but I think that if we're talking about health, optimizing our health, you know, it's really just not great for you. Um, you know, and and I'm not against the taste. Like I've, you know, I've been a fan of alcohol since I started drinking alcohol, you know, in high school, admittedly, but you know, it's never really, uh, made me feel healthier, you know? No, I, I think, and I think most people, if they think about it for a second and look honestly at, at the impact alcohol has on their, on their life, I think they'd probably agree with you. Um, you know, I, I think just picking and choosing, you know, your moments is, is probably like the, the best path. And, and I will say like having a glass of wine with a loved one or family members, um, can actually, like, I, you know, we see in the data sometimes, and there, there's a lot of confounding variables. So I'm not pointing specifically to alcohol, but, um, but I will say there is like a social connection element, you know, to having a glass yes. of wine with friends and family that far outweighs like any of the negative effects that one glass of wine might have. So, mm-hmm. um, so there is, you know, there, you know, there, I think when we are responsible and, and, you know, it's kind of in a healthy type of context, then, you know, every now and again, it's certainly not, not gonna, not gonna kill you. And can actually help. Yeah. yeah. There's some, you know, red wine. 
gets yep, a good I believe that. I think one of the ethos to the show is sort of to be able to connect deeply with other people without having to use any sort of external thing, you know, because it kind of creates that, it brings back that separation from the deep self and the service self. Like I need this thing to mm-hmm. loosen up, to be open enough with my family member, my partner, to be more intimate, you know? Wow. Um, but of course, again, not against that. The other thing in the room is caffeine, right? It's, uh, I mean, especially in like the West, it's like, man, coffee all the time, right? We love coffee. Um, you know, I, I gave up coffee like a year ago. I drink tea, but it has a lot of caffeine in it. Um, and I'm curious on like, what does the science say around timing of caffeine amount? I mean, some of the energy drinks now that, you know, people will be drinking at the gym before workouts and even like pre-workout, we're talking like 300 to 400 milligrams of caffeine. I mean, that is like a rocket ship. That's like rocket fuel, dude. I mean, so I'm curious on like what, you know, like, and people feel like they need it to get a pump at the gym because they have shitty sleep. So they wake up feeling tired and groggy. And so they ingest all this caffeine that's causing shitty sleep 10 hours after. Right. So there's a circle. I'm, I'm curious on your thoughts on, on just caffeine or culture. Yeah. Well, I guess I'll, you know, maybe approach it from a data perspective real quick, just cause I have that data. Um, you know, we did a, a really interesting study with a, um, a, a team out in, um, a, a, a a European Premier League team, a uh, soccer team. And, uh, and we looked at it over the course of the entire season. Um, and we were looking at, you know, effects of caffeine, um, on, uh, based on recovery. So we looked at, you know, if you were in the red and you had caffeine and if you were in the, um, green and you had caffeine, kind of what the effects on subsequent, uh, recovery was, um, you know, heart variability. And, and we also looked at sleep parameters as well. Um, so not just kind of our sleep performance score, which is one of the inputs into whoop recovery. I kind of digress here because I, we haven't really talked anything, you know, about whoop, but, uh, basically, you know, whoop is a 24 seven physiological monitoring device. Um, the, this team used, we're, we're wearing whoop for the entire season. And we were, um, looking at one of the components, uh, which basically measures your capacity to take on load and it's called whoop recovery and it's bucketed into kind of green, yellow, and red. And we kind of looked at when, um, athletes were in the red versus when they're in the green and they put on and they layered on stimulants, what actually happened to some subsequent days recovery. And what we saw is a really strong relationship between prolonged, um, ability to recover when you put stimulants, layered stimulants on top of an under recovered system. This kind of goes to your point, Nico, like where people, have shitty sleep and then, you know, they use caffeine and then they just get into this cycle, right? Where they're just, they're Mm -hmm. having to use caffeine where if you are, if you don't have a good recovery, if you wake up and you feel shitty, that actually the best thing to do is not to have caffeine (laughs) because it will prolong your ability to kind of recover because again, your, your body, it, it, the, the, Caffeine is is telling your system to do something that it it doesn't naturally want to do, right? Yeah. Um, whereas if you're already recovered well and you can layer on a bit of caffeine, then you're kind of supercharged. Um, yeah, you're sort of masking this biofeedback, right? For lack of a better yeah. term, like your body and your your mind is is you know telling you you're not recovered, and you're like, I'm just going to juice it up so I can get back yeah. in the gym and put myself even more in the red, and then right. and take it- three more days. And every now and again, that's not a bad thing. But if we're talking 300 milligrams of caffeine, like that, that is the kind of level of caffeine intake that is going to impair your ability to kind of recover. Like you're, you're doing, 
um, you're really doing your body a disservice um, in terms of diverting really important resources that typically would go toward recovery and rejuvenation throughout the course of the yeah. day toward just trying to process this shit ton of caffeine you just threw in your body. So I'm, I'm not talking, you know, an espresso, like a cup of coffee or something is fine. You know, 50 milligrams of yeah. caffeine. Sure. Like go ahead when you're under recovered, but um, yeah, we're talking about, you know, serious levels like of caffeine, four or five trying cups to compensate of for under recovered system. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a fine. lot of people fall into that. It's our, it's our culture. It's sort of like having a warm drink and I love tea myself, but we can kind of fall in the thing of like, Oh, after breakfast, you know, have like three or four cups of coffee at the office yeah. or at work or whatever probably not great for us. Would no, you say I, that? no, it, no. I mean, I think, I think, yeah. I mean, generally speaking, like, I mean, everything in moderation is kind of like the, probably the right framework, but, but yeah, like the more caffeine, the more stimulants you're putting on your body, again, like you're, 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 you're asking a lot of your system, right? Like you're, mm. you're really driving yourself into the sympathetic state, um, where, you know, you're not giving your, your body the opportunity to kind of come down, right. You're synthetically artificially kind of putting yourself into the state where you're go, go, go. And you don't get that natural oscillation between, you know, the two branches of your autonomic nervous system, right. Which is, which Mm -hmm. is actually really important over the course of the day. So, um, yeah, I mean, you want to just, yeah, everyone have your cup of coffee in the morning. I love coffee. I have it in the morning. Um, but pretty much after, you know, after 10 o'clock, like I'm not having any caffeine, right. You know, I'll have yep. a green tea in the afternoon, a decaf green tea, green tea in the afternoon, maybe a decaf, a decaf chai, whatever, one of the two. Um, but that's basically it. And then I'm just drinking water. Yep. Okay. Yeah. All right. So let's, let's talk about sex and relationships as it relates to sleep, because uh, you talked about this on the podcast I brought up that I heard you on about sort of like the the correlation between like sex and you guys, it seems like you guys were doing a study, right? It was like part of like a whoop study that, uh, Mm -hmm. am I wrong or am I I, I correct? correct. Yeah. 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 Um, and so I'm curious on like, you know, uh, well, first I guess we can approach it from like timing, right? Like, so like if people have sex before they go to bed, are you guys studying that? And does that affect the quality of sleep? Like, and we're talking about like romantic relationship, people sleep in the same bed together. You yep. know, it, it does, does that affect the quality of sleep? And then also one of the really interesting things I heard you talk about was like, you know, in our culture, we're so stuck on two people in a relationship to be sleeping in the same bed all the time. Right. Yep. And it, and from what I've read for quite a bit of people, it might be more healthy, at least a couple of days out of the week to sleep separately. And it might actually positively impact your relationship because of your sleep quality that affects your hormones, your psyche, your emotions, everything, your mental health, right? So yeah, two I, parts I think, of that question. Yeah. So it's a great question. And yes, we're doing um, a, a really cool study looking at, you know, or basically like, you know, the, the hypothesis is that sex is a sleep promoting type of behavior, um, which, yeah. So um, I, I think what we were able to, well, I don't know how much we, we're not in peer review yet. We're in the process of analyzing and, and writing the manuscript, but, um, but I think w- what I think people would I think what we hypothesize is that sex with a partner is, is probably has the most favorable sleep outcomes. Um, but also kind of self stimulation, masturbation also improves sleep. Um, so and across that, the board, like, is that what you're, that's the hypothesis that, yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, yeah. that's kind of like what we're, yeah what we're seeing. Um, yeah. And, and that sex activities close to bed, um, you know, are, are really are kind of a good thing generally for, in terms of health. I think the second kind of layer to your question, um, I think is, is an interesting one. Um, and I, I kind of have a lot of maybe more existential thoughts on it, but, um, 
if 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 sleeping with a partner is helpful, I mean, a lot of folks say when they sleep with a partner, um, and we see that in the data, and we analyze that relative to you know time that they're spending in deeper stages of sleep, it tends to have a, a positive effect, I think, on on most folks. But I think definitely if you find that sleeping with a partner you know, is, is you don't get as, as good as sleep because maybe your partner snores, your partner moves around a ton. Um, then I completely agree, Nico, it, it makes a whole lot of sense to, you know, to, to maybe have separate sleeping arrangements, you know, for a few times a week. So you are getting the sleep that you need because yeah, mm. if you don't get the sleep that you, that you need and the quality of sleep that you need, you're going to have lower sex drive. You know, and yep. again, when we go back to slip, sleep, sleep being, you know, the most important behavioral experience we have as humans, it's because it affects every aspect of our lives. You know, it protects, it, you know, impacts every biological process in our body. And, um, you know, if we don't get the sleep that we need, you know, every part of our life is going to suffer, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, doing what you need to do to organize your life to ensure that you're getting the sleep that you need is, is completely worth it. And that might in fact mean, you know, sleeping in separate beds for a few nights of week, you know, and our, our culture, especially with romanticism, it's so against that because it's like, well, you only sleep separately when you're angry or when someone's hurt or something. And it's, yeah. it's almost like you should probably might want to try to do that to prevent the things that make you angry because it might actually, you know, just try it out. Like why, why not? Uh, you know, I think one of the things I heard you bring up too, is that if two people in a relationship are different chronotypes that can, that can make it harder, right. To sort of have good sleep hygiene together, but there are things you can do to, you know, sort of mitigate things. Right. But yeah. Are we talking like chronotypes, just a morning person versus a night owl? Like, or is it, yeah. is it not as nuanced as those things are sort of different? I mean, I think it's really that, that simple, you know, like if your partner wants to say I'm watching Netflix until 1am or, or, you know, is really super energized at, you know, late in the night and, and wants to, you know, work and write papers and gosh, those people absolutely 100% exist. Right. And if you're like more of a, a person who gets up really early in the morning, wants to go to bed early, it feels really sleepy early. Um, yeah, it, you need to figure that out, you know, and, and, yep. and in fact, you know, that could actually be cause for quite a bit of tension, you know, unless you actually do figure that out. So, right. you know, I think it's, it's certainly worth the effort to figure out, um, you know, how to make that work for both parties, you know, whether it's keeping the clothes and the, you know, outside the, the night clothes of your partner outside the bedroom and they kind of change out there and then they come in real quietly when it's time to go to bed. I mean, there's a mm -hmm. lot of little things that you can do. And I think it just comes down to like literally basic respect, um, yes. you know, for your partner and, and not to mention like both parties understanding the importance of quality sleep, right. And, and mm -hmm. enabling just like the person, the morning lark, you know, who's, they've got their evening lark coming into to bed late at night and they're getting up really early. Well, you better freaking as, you know, be super quiet when you're getting out of bed. Right. And the same thing goes yep. like, you know, blowing your hair, you know, drying your hair in the downstairs bathroom and not in the, you know, one that's in the bedroom, like whatever it takes. Right. But yeah, I think, um, that, that is definitely like really important, but I think too, like there's also ways to frame it. Um, you know, if you are having to sleep in separate bedrooms, you know, for some of these more kind of egregious cases, like, you know, snoring or, you know, thrashing during bed or whatever, um, you know, that alone time is, you know, not a terrible thing, you know, like I think generally right. speaking, you know, when we consider relationships, there is this kind of cultural push to like have this closeness all the time. And mm -hmm. I, I think that that really actually dampens relationships in so many ways. Like I, I feel like alone time is, is so undervalued, you know, where we're just, you know, where we, I don't know, just are spending time with our thoughts and we're writing and, you know, maybe writing about our partner and, you know, like, and 
taking time away to appreciate them. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I think that there's a, a lot of, a lot of good that can come from a bit of separateness. I completely agree with you. I think that space uh, in healthy relationships provides the ability to miss somebody too and see their value outside of just having the expectation of, oh, every morning I'm waking up and this person's here, you know, because something can happen. This person cannot be here tomorrow and you cannot yeah. be here. And I think part of that is sort of like intermittently, you know, allowing that space in a healthy relationship to be able to miss somebody. So it's not just this like overly attached thing. It's like, oh, this person is of huge value in my life. And I, I feel it even more when I don't wake up next to them you know, or when I have my alone time and you can also work on your own shit because if you're just consistently surrounded with, you know, other people with noise and stuff, you can't really sit with your thoughts and your feelings and, you know, know yourself. So, and of course I think our quality of sleep affects our ability to do those things because I was going to bring up, you know, if if I get a shitty night's sleep, I, I sort of mentally check myself and make sure like I don't engage in any sort of uh, discussions or cause I'm just going to have a shorter fuse. Like I know myself, you know, I'm not going to think as clearly, I'm not going to like, you know, I'm just not as lucid really. I'm, you know, there's kind of this cloud and I feel like kind of aggravated and tired and kind of like a crab, you know, I think that gets worse as you get older probably. Um, but I, uh, I'm sure. definitely a morning person. So I'm one of those people, like I'm 31, I'll go to bed at like eight 30 or nine and I'll wake up at four 30 or five. And if it's a powder day, I'm up at like 3am. So I go to bed at like six, you know, nice. but you know, people, <laughs> People consistently, they're like, oh, dude, you go to bed way too early, you know, for, for age. I'm like, no, I know myself. Like I, I'm not a night out. Like I used to be maybe when I was younger, but I'm totally, and I think it's affected by the people that raised me. My grandfather, he was very much like a morning person. So when I was a kid, I would go to bed super early and wake up really early with him to watch cartoons. Right. And that, that's kind of stuck with me my entire life, even being an athlete where I I train the best at like 5am, you know, like I I just put, you know, uh, put these things together where like I wake up my, my best run or my best workout will always be between five and 10am, you know? And then after that, I just, I need to like have my shit done and then I can work throughout the day. I'm yep. not a person that like will go to the gym at 5 PM and have a great workout. You know, that's just not, not me. Yeah. And, and definitely there, you know, we all have, you know, our temperature oscillates throughout the day. And, you know, again, it's all based on this kind of circadian timing that we're, we're kind of talking about in our interaction with light and, um, and, and the, you know, we have these different cortisol pulses throughout the day, again, based on our like natural preference for when we want to wake up. So yeah, aligning your behaviors with kind of our natural rhythms is when we talk about kind of human thriving, gosh, that's like just such a a big component to to all of that, you know, and, and setting up a life that enables that I think is really important, right? Like if, if you're, if someone is constantly telling you, you need to get up at, at, you know, at 11 PAM, right. And you want to get up at five 36, like you start to feel pretty shitty about life, right? Not just to, to mention that, not to mention that you're doing something counter that, you know, to what you want to do, but it's more important, like actually what's happening internally. Like you, you have this drive, like we all have this kind of drive, you know, in, inside mm-hmm. us that is, 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 is not dictated by our thoughts, but it's dictated by our biology. And if we don't enable yeah. that, like we really, I think put ourselves in a, in a disadvantage um, mentally and physically. I'm curious on what you think about people, you know, that work jobs that, you know, the, for instance, like a, a night nurse or, or a night yeah. physician, you know, they, they work from like six to six, you know, uh, I have a lot of friends that work in ICUs that are, that are providers or nurses, especially even during COVID. 
And, you know, the, some of these people will work these schedules for three, four, five years or their whole, their whole life. Right. And you can see, I mean, I have a friend that he was, he's a pro runner and he became a nurse and worked night shifts for the first year and it, it destroyed his running career. Like there was just no way he could yeah. maintain like, what are your thoughts on that in society? I mean, if there's something that people, there's, people can't do, change their schedule, for instance, like, are there things that people can, steps that people can take to still optimize sleep, even if their circadian rhythm is completely flipped? For sure. And it, and it goes back to kind of some of the things that we've talked about, like the same sort of principles that apply to folks who are awake during the day apply to folks who are going to be asleep at night. So how you interact with light is really important. You know, the exercise, the timing of your exercise, the timing of when you're eating, um, you know, you want to try to regulate those as, as much as possible. So it makes sense for when you're actually sleeping. So your sleep is kind of your you know, allocating seven to eight hours of time, you know, what would be during the day for a night shift worker is extremely important, right? Extremely important. So when you get off your night shift, you want to try to expose yourself to as little light as possible um, to the extent that you can. So, you know, if you're waking up and the sun's starting to come out, wear sunglasses, right? And you want to try to get to bed as quickly as you can once you get home. You don't want to have a big delay between uh, when you get home and, and when you go to bed. Um, and also you want to make sure that you have your dinner, you know, three hours before when you intend to sleep. So that's the other thing with night shift workers, they end up snacking a lot which is right. not good, right? You're just throwing your body off and, and telling your body all sorts of, giving your body all sorts of different cues. So the big yep. anchor is is light, um, is obviously sleep-wake timing. Um, and then exercise can also be a really important anchor. So when you get up from your night shift, maybe wake, if you're a morning person, you'd want to do it right when you wake up. If you're more of a lark, you'd want to do it maybe what would be during your, your lunch time during the night would be a really good time to work out for folks who are more of like a a night person. Um, and then the anchor, the other anchor is, is definitely, you know, fueling behavior feeding, you know, is really figuring out a window, um, that is going to, um, uh, you know, help you have the energy that you need when you first wake up. Like if you normally would fast, for example, fast, right? So you wake up at 5 p.m. say or 6 p.m. to get ready for your night shift. You know, you do your workout and let's say you, you typically, if you're up with the sun and up during the day, let's say you typically would fast, well, just fast, right? Until you maybe midnight and then have your first meal and then, you know, a small, you know, dinner, you know, a few hours before when you intend to sleep. So using, you know, light exercise and feeding as like your anchors and, and kind of thinking about that in the same context you would as if you were awake. Does that, I'm guessing that also applies for if you're going to be better normal time, like how uh, should you not eat dinner like anywhere, you know, two hours before your, your scheduled time to fall asleep? Like, yep. Yep. Um, what we see, and I think, and this isn't actually, I don't think this is super well-known, um, or I don't know if people think about this a whole lot, but yeah, generally speaking, you want to stop eating at least a few hours before you intend to go to bed. You know, in principle, you want to really just eat when the sun's up. That's kind of a a nice guide. Um, if you're training a lot or if you've got a really fast metabolism, you might feel hungry at night and you don't want to feel hungry at night because that's going to make you wake up or have more disturbances. So, there's some hacks around that I can share, but yeah, typically speaking for like a normal adult, you know, two hours prior to when you intend to fall asleep is generally a good rule of thumb. Cause what happens if you eat, you know, um, a big meal right before you, you tend to fall asleep, you might fall asleep fast. Um, it doesn't, it, depending on what the composition of what you eat and, and 
you know, but it, generally speaking, like you're going to fall asleep fine, but you'll end up with a, a much more fragmented sleep because again, your body is diverting resources. It can't it, sleeping and digestion are both parasympathetic sympathetic activities and your body can't um, do both at the same time. And it's going to prioritize digestion over sleep. So you're going to be working to digest your food for, if it's a big meal, it's going to be working to digest your field your food probably for half the amount of time that you would be sleeping. So the time that you're spending in REM and slow sleep will be compromised in the, in the you know first four to five hours of your sleep. So again, you wake up less restored when you have meals close to bedtime because you're not able to get into these deeper stages of sleep because your body's prioritizing digestion. So yeah, stopping eating prior a few time, a few hours before that is is really good. If you do have to eat um, because of the reasons I stated previously, fast metabolism, or you're doing maybe um, you know you're just uh, you, you tend to get hungry during the night or whatever it is, having something that is super bioavailable is is probably the way to go. Something that's really easy to digest, like a casein protein, like a cottage cheese, tends to be really good for a lot of folks. Um, you know, and then throw in some some high fat. You know, I love the, the MCT oil, the really um, high concentrated uh, concentration mm-hmm. of, of MCT can be really effective, like just a fat, you know, to make you feel kind of satiated. Um, and then a little glutamine, you know, can be super helpful, kind of throw that in your cottage cheese and mix it up. That can also make you feel full and not mm-hmm. something you have to worry about digesting. Where can people go to find more info about you? And then are there any books you recommend that like people can pick up that, you know, get them more in depth with a lot of this stuff that, you know, made impacts in your life or things that people can read? You know, I I actually love, um, uh, Mark Bubbs book, B-U-B-B-S. Um, it's called peak. Um, and I, I find that to be like really comprehensive, um, I mean, if you really want to go down a, a rabbit hole and read a big book, um, uh, Greenfield's book, uh, Boundless, is really good. Tools of Titans um, by Tim Ferriss is is really good um, and has a lot of tips and tricks and um, you know that are grounded. I think in for the most part in you know a bit of science. A lot of it is experimental, but um, a lot of really good tips. Um, and then I, I love Awareness by Demello. Um, you know, waking up by Sam Harris, I think is brilliant. Um, uh, Harati, I love Sapiens, um, is, is such a good book, um, on just principles. Um, where can people go to find, to find you if they want to find more about you and what you're studying? And I know you're not super, you're not super huge on uh, social media from what I, uh, heard about in the last podcast, which I completely respect because it. You're probably a lot more healthy of a sleeper and a human being for not being on it a ton, but no, um, no, you do post I, stuff. Yeah. I LinkedIn. I'm, I'm pretty active. I, you know, if I have a, if I come across a study that I think is relevant, um, you know, mostly, you know, my thing is I'm just interested in, in human thriving and kind of the mechanisms that help, you know, kind of facilitate that. So yeah, I, I post a ton about it, the research that we're doing that are, are trying to create these linkages. And, um, yeah, t- I talk, I talk a fair amount about, um, you know, different protocols to consider. And, um, again, based on a lot of the research that we're doing, what, what, what's working for folks, what isn't. Um, and then on, and it's just Kristen Holmes, I guess on LinkedIn. And then, um, I, I, I have Instagram, um, Kristen underscore Holmes 2126, you know, I'll just post again, like, you know, things about human potential and human thriving, self-regulation, um, you know, circadian biology sort of thing. 
Awesome. I'll link to all that stuff in the show notes. Well, Kristen, I want to have you back on because you're brilliant and you have so much knowledge that, you know, you oh just, <laughs> uh, come out with. And so it's just uh, an hour is, is awesome, but I just have so many questions, but thank you so much for coming on. I think people are really going to find value in this. Um, sleep's huge. And, uh, to have someone that, you know, has been studying it and, you know, has, has a science background and it is, is really incredible. Well, it's my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. And thanks for all your good work. <laughs> 